Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos Cavallo. And I'm Jason Lanzini. Good day, Carlos. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Interesting news yesterday on the HS2 front. The good news is they're going to build Houston Station. So that little leg into London uh, is being done. If it was old at Common, I wouldn't use it. So that's handy. But they have cancelled everything north of Birmingham. So we're spending... Thirty-two billion pounds to reduce a train journey by twenty-five minutes, which uh, doesn't seem like great value for money when you say it like that. Yeah, you didn't tell me you were going to bring this up, so I didn't even think about what what to say regarding HS2, and it needs a trigger warning. But yeah, I did. I did hear someone say that like it does. This is this is a, a risky conversation point, but it was like, is this essentially the UK saying they don't have the capability build, to build a train line between London and Manchester? <laughs> I have no idea. The the worst part of the conference yesterday, so as the Prime Minister actually announcing it, was the trains will continue up to Manchester, but they're gonna run on existing lines and not at high speeds. So they're just Yeah, it's fine. Trains. What you just yeah, you get to yeah, you get out, everyone pushes a bit and you just get there in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, anyway, he did commit to spend the remaining thirty something billion pound on I quote hundreds of infrastructure projects. So yeah, let's see um how quickly they can go through planning approval. Or what the hell the saving is then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good news. We're not going to spend the extra 20 grand on the car. We're just going to buy 20 grand worth of lollies, Xboxes, and like toys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. yeah, wait for the problem to surface again in a few years' time. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the last episode last week was one of the first that I've actually listened back to in full. And I've got to say, even I was interested in it. So that's, uh, that's a win. <laughs> you don't listen to them back in full? I can't stand my voice, as with most people that listen to it. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, listening to your own voice is, that's not good viewing for anyone. But um, yeah, no, it was a decent episode. So today, we have a guest who's a bit of a legend in the planning world. Well, he's one of the most renowned schedule risk experts in Australia. 20 years experience on major projects, even founded his own application in the planning world called Ch TurboChart. So pretty serious CV. Welcome to the podcast, Santosh. How are you? Thank you, Carlos. I'm very well, thank you. Santosh, I um, I was saying to Carlos the other day that that you have you do a lot of uh, schedule risk work for most of the or many of the major infrastructure projects across Australia and probably uh, somewhat beyond, and that would probably have the potential to uh, make you. Like, the, have you ever counted up the number of projects that you've worked on or, or for? Because it, it's got to be one of the, the largest numbers out there. I, I've never actually put a figure against it. I've certainly tried to put some sort of representation of the type of projects I've been involved in and what stages. I've lost track. I mean, I've been doing schedule risk for well over a decade and some of them have been very simple, basic Here's a, here's a schedule, run an analysis, and we're not telling you anything else, which is a bit pointless, right up to very being very heavily involved. Being very heavily involved in a lot of infrastructure projects um, from that schedule risk perspective, I guess. Okay. So you're, uh, it's very topical because you're, like, you're almost like your own AI model. I, uh, in, in, <laughs> Trained on many projects. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, I'd be careful in saying that, but yeah, um, I, I certainly have, I, I mean... 
my approach to it is, um, first of all, I say I, I'm not a risk manager. I'm, I've never been a risk manager. I come from a planning and scheduling background, but my perspective is schedules are quite complex beasts. You know, they're very, have, they have a lot of behavioral things around them. And I think schedule risk is often requires an understanding of how a schedule functions and how a schedule behaves to be able to do that risk analysis. And that's where I got interested in it. And that's where my background in planning and scheduling, I think, fit in nicely with doing that risk analysis. But I, I do explicitly like to say I'm not a risk manager per se. I guess to kick off the, like the real discussion there, it'd be great if considering our audience of engineers, hmm. what is QRSA in like its simplest form? Right. So QRSA or quantitative schedule risk analysis, I guess, is a analytical way of assessing how risks can affect schedules or the program as we call them here in Australia as well. And it can mean a few different things, right? And the easiest way that I like to explain it to, to engineers specifically is I, I, I generally don't like to approach it from the typical risk perspective of, you know, start diving into probabilities and, and distribution shapes and things like that. What I like to say to engineers is to say, just tell me how things could change from what you expect, right? And if, if you view risk as being how things can change, then that actually makes it quite a simple perspective, right? You say, you know, while we're doing this, here are all the things that may happen that makes me think of, you know, what, what can affect the, the thing that I'm doing. And if you just look at it simplistically like that, well, that is risk, right? That is risk in a way. Some, some risks are good where productivity is, is, is achieved or exceeded. Things go well, and you may do things faster and cheaper than you thought. And risks can also mean bad things. You know, where negative outcomes, where you're saying it takes longer, it costs more money, you've hit some problems. But the good thing about explaining it that way to engineers is engineers are already doing that. You know, I always like to say engineers, if there's one thing engineers are very good at, it's planning. And that's, you know, not planning as a role, but planning as in the actual function of thinking about what we're doing. And engineers are very good at also thinking, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What else could happen? It's already in their heads, really. And, and I guess the job of the schedule risk analyst or the risk analyst in that case is actually to tease that information out and formalize it a little bit more. Uh, that's the approach that I like to take is to say, you know, the, yeah. the smarts, the smarts and the knowledge is, is, is not in me. You know, I'm not the person that's going to be able to tell you how to do your job well. Yeah. Yeah. It's like playing out scenarios, right? Which yeah. the engineers are good at. Um, I've never, I might sound like an idiot now. I've never heard someone uh, talk about risks as good and bad. I've never heard of like a positive risk is like you go faster. Is that me being ignorant or no, is that well, like quite a normal thing? No, I mean, I think the reason why most people think of risks is because they often hear it in, in the terms of risks and opportunities. You know, people say, have you got an R and O register? Yeah. Right? So people say risks is often yeah, yeah. perceived as being a threat and, and the other, the other side of the equation is an opportunity, but if you look at the definitions of what risk is, like the, you know, the ISO standards, what they say is risk is, is uncertainty, right? It's just saying uncertainty, things are unknown or variable, and that can mean good or bad, right? So yeah. um, in, in pure risk management term, it, it, you know, we talk about threats and opportunities, uh, or in some cases, both. Yeah. It's, it, it can be either side of that equation. Yeah. So Santos, the, I guess to also tie in the question about, uh, you know, Carlos's question about, about QSRA, we had been having these conversations over and over again with different teams or, or projects, both UK, Oz, New Zealand, about artificial intelligence, construction, 
how AI would have any impact on construction. A lot of the conversations then seem to shift towards schedule and schedule analysis. And we wanted to kind of explore, I guess, where that, you know, what it is, where it is from the perspective of someone on the ground delivering a project, you know, is it something that actually is, is something I should be aware of today and what can it do for me? So last week we spoke with Dev, the CEO of Endplan, as like a, an, I guess, a representative of a vendor of that type of technology. We asked the question, we asked questions around like, what can it do? What can't it do? And, and one of the areas that, that he talked about, and obviously that's where their product is, is around this process of QSRA. So Carlos's question around this uh, schedule risk analysis and, and QSRA is, is, is directly linked to this being an area that some companies are saying that AI can make, make a difference. So with that in mind, I don't know if you have a, a general thought about that. And, and if you are, I guess, from someone on the ground, do you see, maybe if I push you for, are there elements of the process that you run in QSRA on projects that could be assisted conceptually by some form of artificial intelligence, do you reckon? I, I think there is definitely an opportunity for it. And, you know, whilst I'm generally uh, a little bit of a skeptic in AI and not because of AI as in the technology and what it's capable of, but fundamentally from the, from the, from the data or the data that we use, the schedules that we use for that, that, that we use for this artificial intelligence is, um, I just think it's, they're not, it's not ready, right? It's just, just not suitable for it. And, and we can elaborate on that in, in a moment, but when you think about what QSRA mm -hmm. is, right, what we're doing with QSRA is we're saying, here's a schedule. It gets us from start to end and it consists of activities, relationships, durations, all that business, right? All that, all that fun stuff. And what we're applying is we're saying, what happens if those things change, right? So typically what we do with, or what we used to do with QSRA is we used to take durations of activities and modify them. We would say, you know, it's not 10 days, it's 15 days. What does that do to the end date? Yep. And yeah, we can apply that up and down the schedule and, and, and we use that as a quasi measure for risk because we're saying, you know, the risk is that those durations may change. Now, to me, that's a very basic or fundamental form of risk analysis. I wouldn't even call it risk analysis, actually, because I would say all you're doing is you're checking the sensitivity of the durations, right? You're saying if durations change, my results are, are different. In fact, you don't even need a high paid consultant and fancy technology. To, to, to come to that conclusion, right? So where AI can fit into it is to say, if you have this huge pool of data and you find similarities in activities and projects, you could potentially tweak durations to understand what impact that had, right? And say, based on my pool of data, here's a, 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 the average or you know, P80, as we say, 80% uh, you know, confident duration for that range of activities. And here's the result it's produced. The big problem with it that I see is that I, I would say, well, that's nice. I mean, that's interesting, but it's not very helpful because the first thing is, and I put it to you in this position, if you said to an engineer who was responsible for a, a piece of work that said, your duration of 10 days is wrong, it should be 15 days. The first question they're going to say is why? Right? Why? Yeah. What is it that's going to make it take 15 rather than my 10 that I expect? And that's where I think the whole thing falls over, right? Because first of all, uh, yeah, the, the, the context that tells you why it's 15, not 10 
is just simply not there in schedules. You know, I've lived and breathed schedules for, as Carlos said, for the better part of two decades. Um, I understand what, how people develop schedules and what's contained in schedules. And all we essentially have is descriptions that says, you know, install steel, excavate trench. We have no understanding of what's behind that, right? And that's where I think uh, my comment earlier about the, the, the data behind the AI tools is just not ready. What um... to I guess Santos to Steelman to Steelman the 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 opposite uh, case. If I repeat back to you a little bit what I, I um, you said is that there's okay maybe AI could uh, tell us that there it believes that there's a risk of something happening or or a part of our schedules is more risky than another, and but it can't what it what it struggles to describe at the moment to it let's say an engineer is why and maybe even what to do about it. Mm-hmm. If, if that's a, a kind of fair, bad summarization of you, if I was to still man the other side, is there always this problem in schedule risk analysis of like unknown unknowns and the fact that there is a risk just because you can't describe what it is, because aren't you, I guess to, to say another way, if you're only describing all the risks that someone that can you know describe about. why yeah. it's a risk that that yeah, yeah that you're you're only looking at the pool of things that you think about for sure i mean um you know that's one of these things that we always need to think about is and what else you know and what else is there what other risks can happen and and you're you are relying on all those biases that exist you know the the um recency bias confirmation bias all those you know there's a there's a whole stack of them to provide you the input the problem again is AI can sift through schedules, but none of that's ever contained in schedule information. There's never, I mean, you can say, here's our planned schedule and here's our actual schedule that we, that we work with. And the difference between the two is never explained anywhere in that schedule data, right? It, it may be captured somewhere else in a delay register. It may be captured somewhere in the forensic analysis. In fact, that's probably why a whole industry exists for doing that sort of, that sort of analysis. Yep. Um, but certainly yeah. if you talk about just XCR or MPP files, it, it's not there, right? Um, very rarely would yeah. someone go to the diligence of, of, have the diligence to actually put duration change due to X, Y, Z. And, and, yeah. and, that's, and that's the big concern. Now, where I think that sort of level of, of duration analysis does work really well is when you're, you're using schedules at a very macro level. When you're, you know, if, if you're looking at a very simplistic overall duration for a project, you're saying this piece of highway, you know, we plan on 36 months, but based on other information that we have, we know that similar projects are done as, you know, 28 to 40, et cetera. The, the, problem, yep. with, the problem with that is that sort of analysis is okay if you're not in control of those durations. But if you are in control of those durations, if you are in, if you are charged with the delivery and execution of those projects, you are in control of the work, of the risks, of managing the risks mm-hmm. and managing the duration. So just to simply say the duration may change and the result might be different is not good enough. You need to dive a bit deeper to understanding, well, what is it? What is causing that? What potentially? Not to be sound pessimistic, but AI, what, what AI can offer us is to actually start telling us what is that information that we need? You know, if, if we could produce schedules that contained all these various pieces of information and they could be captured into a repository and used for the future, then what is it? 
And I think that's as an industry, we, we're not there yet. Yeah. Certainly not in the scheduling yeah, space. I think, and I, yeah. And I think I agree with you, you know, in that we've had previous conversations to this effect that like, there's just so much thing, there's so much that happens on a project that's captured maybe in a piece of paper shoved under a supervisor's front seat of their car that isn't in, like re- really yeah. isn't in the schedule. And when we spoke to Dev last week, he he made this statement of, you know, or um, maybe I, I prodded him for the statement that like, you can think of AI as someone that's had lots and lots of experience or hundreds or hundreds of thousands of, of projects. Um, but then I said the counter argument last week was that like, if you were on those projects, you would have had more senses. You would have been in the meetings. You would have been, you would have been hearing, you would have been seeing, not just like staring at the project through the, the XCR file. If you... If you look at it through that lens that like, okay, maybe an AI has experienced 700,000 projects through the XER file, it's kind of like they've experienced it, but had like reduced set of sensors to experience those projects. Does, is there like a case for AI giving, to, to use another analogy, I'm just stacking analogies on analogies, but to use another analogy, like if I wanted something beautifully written about me or about my company or about Carlos or something, I could go pay a very experienced writer to write something. It would be great. It'd be expensive. It would take some time. If I want something like average written, I can go ask a, a large language model to write something average. It'll cost me nothing and it will be done instantly. And maybe that's useful in lots of use cases, or maybe there's like a hybrid. Is there like a, a case that you can see for projects where maybe they get 80% or 70% of the value for one one hundredth of the time or cost? So I think where this is kind of heading to is this sort of automated schedule generation. You know, where you, you, you're essentially saying, here's a, here's a model of what we're building, generate the schedule for me based on predefined steps, libraries that say, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was more, th- I was more thinking almost the opposite. We stay in the like risk assessment world. There's okay. We could have this periodic QSRA process mm. with a team of people or one person or an expert or whatever, but maybe between then and the next time we do that, we're making all sorts of decisions about our schedule. And maybe we could use some sort of gut check of how, so, how we're mm. expecting things. It, it's almost like having a, um, a taxonomy or a cate- categorization of potential risks that may affect your project, right? So you're saying you're on a railway project, your potential risks are getting access to track, you know, as, 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 as the weather is, you know, specialized equipment, commissioning mm-hmm. engineers, all that typical kind of stuff. Um, now, the, you could very well generate that sort of high level categorization of, of potential risks, you know, where we, we'd have the you know, design delays, you'd have approval delays, all that generic stuff. But my question would be how practically useful is that? Because, you know, if you're on your project it's for someone to say, design approvals are always a problem. Say, well, yes, we know that, right. But how is that going to affect my project in, specifically? And that's where you, you kind of need some information that will, it essentially would say, Based on all these parameters, you know, your, your risks would look like this. Now, my question to you is where is that knowledge coming from? It certainly isn't in schedules. That's, that, that, now that's the big problem that we have is, you know, when you think about what schedules are, right, they're conceptual models. They're essentially just a model. You know, you may have heard that expression, yeah. a map is not the territory, right? So a schedule is not a factual statement of what will happen and should never be treated that way. It's, it is just a guide or a, you know, a, a, you know, 
if you want to be really, um, really negative about it, you say it's a best guess, right? You need something that then says, right, to improve this schedule, you need to understand what are all the things that could vary? What are all the things that can, that can happen that you don't expect? It would be fantastic to be able to pull something off a, off a shelf or you know, in the digital world, you tap into a, a, a yep. database that says, here are the typical type of risks on your type of projects based on your specific project, based on some parametric sort of values. Here's how those risks could manifest. And I think that would be a spectacularly useful product or a useful tool set to have. I just don't think schedules are that source of that information. Yeah, right. So like, yeah, so my, my, like, my optimistic um, view of Santos comes and helps us do a QSRA at this point on a project. And at the same time, we run our little AI model to look at the risk. And that we consider that kind of like the baseline. We compare, mm. okay, it says this much risk on the project. Santos has done like a real world human version of it. And then in two months time, we try and make changes to the plan. And okay, the end date might've come in a week, but like it's saying risk has gone through the roof. Maybe we should tread carefully. You know, that's mm. kind of, you're saying like, that's lovely, Jason, but if, if you're just relying on the scheduled data, you might as well just shake the magic eight ball and say, uh, I don't know what, what the normal things <laughs> of the magic eight ball said, but that, you get the idea. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I all mean, signs point to yes. <laughs> I mean, really, if, if all you're just saying is, you know, let's adjust the durations and see where the end answer is, it, it goes back to understanding why. Now, the, now the beauty of the way QSRA has evolved is we are moving towards methods that are not just about just adjust durations. We always need to give an explanation as to why, right? You know, when you're saying your 10 days may grow to be 15 days, let's not just put that as schedule uncertainty. Let's actually give you a reason for why that happens. And we can trace back to all those reasons. Now, obviously we still have that issue where we're saying, well, have we captured all the right reasons and have we captured those risks with the right numbers, right? But that is a significant step forward compared to what we used to do uh, a decade ago, where we would just put plus and minus values on durations. Um, and certainly some industry mm -hmm. bodies have moved to that, uh, what we call a risk driver approach that says, you know, the, based on your analysis, the, the driving risks are the following items, right? And, and, and um, we, we can do that now with the technology that we have. That's not, that's not AI in any way. Where I think AI could, you could use AI as a double, double check or a sanity check. But again, it goes back to my point where if you're presenting those results of an AI analysis to a team of people responsible for delivering the work, and they say, AI is telling us that you should allow an extra three months. Their first question is going to be, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, and they will want to know why, because it's, they're the ones responsible for, for doing everything they can to not extend that project by three months. Right. So, so yeah, if, I, if, I, if, if you're asking me to extend, allow three months for unknown reasons, I might as well run the gauntlet and see if it is going to take three months. Yeah. You, you, you know, you I'll, I'll <laughs> save you a lot of time and effort and just, you know, do the you know, typical, you know, 12 and a half percent contingency factor. And there's a number of, I mean, even, even the way that I see even schedule analysis, and, and this is not something new to AI, this has even happened. Uh, this has been happening for the last decade or so, ever since someone looked at an XCR file and said, oh, you know, there's thousands and hundreds and thousands of rows of data here that we can suck into these wonderful tools to pull out all this information. 
um, someone's it, it's 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 like fossicking for the golden nugget, you know, hoping that something in there will reveal, you know, oh, this is the reason why your project will fail because you didn't put the right type of links in. You know, it's it's that's not the case. It's just not true. I mean, the schedule is just a model. We use the schedule to help guide us make decisions. The 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 quality of that information is 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 where I think we have a problem. Um, but it's better than nothing, you know. And and the thing to keep in mind, Jason, you're you're very you're very aware of this. That the benefit of planning and scheduling a project is not the schedule; it's the process you go through to develop that schedule, right? So it's getting the people to think about it. It's it's challenging those people's assumptions, challenging them. You do you realize that you can't do this because that over there is happening? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Well, now you do, right? That's that's the actual benefit. The schedule is just a byproduct, really. If we, um, if we think about touching back on your point of like, the information isn't in the schedule. So we want to know specifically like what the risk is and ideally what the best mitigation measures are based on history, which is that sort of yeah. experience aspect. Is it the fact that we just don't add that information to schedule? Is it a limitation of schedules? Is it the fact that these applications don't pull data from other sources as well as the schedule, which could be coded in a way to provide that sort of link. What do you think is that limiting factor at the moment as to why we can't do that? I, I think it's a bit of both. Definitely, Carlos. I mean, um, first of all, when you think about the way developed schedules is we, you know, schedules consist of activities that represent scope of work, right? Each activity or each bar or each activity that you see on a schedule represents effort. And um, for us to actually sit down and explain what that activity represents, you'd be writing an essay. You know, for for most of you, know, you, there'd be a work method statement for every activity. So we we don't do that. We just that's why we install pipe, right? That's 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 the level of the information that we go to. Uh, but what we also then don't do is maintain that information very well. Like when we say install pipe, but we hit service while doing, you know, we we don't put that in type of information. A, a simple step might be, you know, to tag it to a delay register or tag it to a something. Um, and I think this is where technology can fit into it, is to say that the schedule is not just the schedule. It needs to be this repository of connected information. You know, um, uh, one, one, of my, one of my classic examples that I often draw upon is someone might say, look, this 10-day task in your plan has actually turned into a 15-day task in your actual. And there'll be this big hoorah about that's five days longer than you took this delay. And, and it'll take someone to just go, hang on, it rained for five days. You know, that information is not captured in the schedule. It doesn't specifically say five days was lost due to rain. But if you went through site diaries, if you went through, you know, the, the superintendent's records, you might find, you know, geez, this whole week we lost because of rain. It still took us only 10 days to do the actual work. So we were actually as productive as we planned to be. Um, and again, that's a very simple example of where schedules just don't tell you that information. You know, but if we had the connected pieces of data, you could you could quite quite easily tease that information out. Yeah, you need to be scraping everything to form this overall narrative of a project to then give that real context as to yeah, yeah absolutely why and, the plan changed and, and what we did. And I think it's worth doing because when you think about what the schedule represents on a project, it's the only tool that we have for time phasing information. You know, when you think about what a schedules get used for, it gets used for resource loading, use of cost loading, our sequencing of work, you know, our communication. It's, yeah, a schedule is rarely 
just one thing used for one purpose. So if there's anything that we should be spending a lot of effort to, to improve the quality of, it's the way that the schedules are generated. But that touches me, takes me to another angle, which I put on all this, which is, you know, and I touched upon it earlier, that the, the value in the schedule is not the schedule, the schedule itself, but the process that it generates, you know, the, the thinking that it, and the communication that it, that it generates. And so to me, I mean, um, you guys may have heard of things like the DCMA 14 point checklist. Um, it's like, yeah, we run all these metrics. Oh, it's Carlos's favorite right. thing. Yeah. Carlos, you <laughs> love the 14 and, point. I mean, it, it's, it's, we've gotten to a point, well, it's, we've gotten to a point where, where I've seen instances where that is the sole measure of how good a schedule is. And, you know, that really shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I've, I've been exactly there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's one of these. No classic. lags. <laughs> Your project will fail because you have 10 activities with high flow. Um, you know, like, yeah. To me, and, and, I, and this is a, uh, something I read by a guy called Murray Wolf a long time ago. He, he wrote a book that, um, called Faster, Faster Construction Projects Using CPM Scheduling. And to put it in a nutshell, he said, there's only one good measure of, of a schedule. There's only one measure of a good schedule, sorry. That is, is it being used, right? That's, that's it. Simple as that, right? If people are using your schedule, then that's a good, then you've, that's a good outcome. If they're not using your schedule, yeah. it could be for a vast number of reasons, but that's not, yeah. And that, and that's kind of, it goes back to my point that, you know, the, the schedule as an, as an object is not as valuable as the method that, or the process that sits around it. It's a very loose abstraction of what actually happened. Yeah, it on is. The project. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and the other, the other little thing that I like to always like make fun of is, is very rarely does a project run on one schedule, right? And I think you guys are across this very well. So I mean, um, and, and you think about how many different, and I, and I don't just mean, you know, there's one schedule that gets used to manage the, you know, by the executive team and one schedule to develop, uh, used by the delivery team and one schedule, you know, for, for the three week lookouts. I don't mean in that sense either. There's also all this, any given point in time, there's 15 different scenarios of the potential of, yeah. yeah, ways yeah, yeah. that we're going to yeah. every, yeah. every project. I think I think without a fail, every project that, that like that we on board as a as a company, there's always someone in the planning team that says, uh, "We can't. We 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 need. We might need to hold off on a week before we import yeah. into into Apex because we're currently going through a rebaselining exercise. Like every project yeah, 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 is, yeah. I mean, is constantly <laughs> going through a rebaselining yeah, exercise. You know. When you when you're using your typical you know office spreadsheet type documents, you know Rev One, Rev One A B, Rev One A Draft X, you know the schedules are exactly the same. Uh, at any given point in time, there could be a multitude of schedules on a project, and so that's why I always say the joke that I always say is the first thing you need to do is identify which is the schedule that you're going to be checking, you know, or using for this analysis. So come back to me when you've identified which is the one you want to use. I was just going to say, Carlos, that I was, I wonder how well the, like, if you're consuming those schedules on mass as a model, how do you even pick apart the ones that are not versioned schedules of the real schedule? And how many of them are just like, what if schedules that are sat in the P6 database that someone's gone and just like on a so, whim made? Like, 
Yeah, and the what That's if one's going to be the the extreme good yeah, and bad, wow. right? <laughs> You're going to be a uh, yeah. There's, I mean, if you look at it just as if you looked at it as as pure data, right? You'd have you could potentially have two act, two schedules, exactly the same number of activities, exactly the same number of uh, you know activity IDs, even the same descriptions with slightly modified durations between the two, and they can produce vastly different outcomes, right? But from a you know, a pure data difference, you'd probably look at the two and think they were exactly the same. All, you, all you'd have is the difference in durations, but behind it, there'd be a whole, you know, there'd be a whole different set of reasoning of, of, of why those durations are different. I mean, um, here's, an, here's a really simple one, um, wet versus dry programs or wet versus dry schedules. How would the machine know the difference other than being able to say, well, one calendar is different to another calendar? And, and I mean, yeah, this these are all problems that can be solved. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not challenging problems from a, from a data and analytics perspective, but it goes back to why and understanding why, you know, like, um, have you got, have you got the understanding of saying, well, there's a difference in calendars and here's the reason why, because I can tell you one thing, XER files, I tell you why those calendars have days and days marked as work days and not work days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have one last question, Carlos, if we can let me fit it in. <laughs> yeah, go um, So uh, there's, a, there's a podcast that I listen to uh, where they talk about how writers are scared about losing their jobs to AI. And the, the, the common phrase that is said is that like the writers are not going to lose their job to AI. They're going to lose their job to, to another writer that knows how to use AI. And so from the perspective of people doing, you know, whether it's a risk manager or people doing schedule risk analysis at the moment, do you see a world where like the, they, the, the AI is kind of like a co-pilot assistant, that type of thing to the, the human process? I, I absolutely think so. I mean, uh, we're, we're doing it already in, in a way in lots of other aspects of our day-to-day -day jobs. You know, we've, there's so many ways that AI can, can be used to do things you know, quicker and easier than, than already. I mean, um, maybe not in the sense of generating schedules and cost estimates and, and all of that yet, but it will get there. The biggest fear I have with AI is not AI itself, but what it's going to do in terms of gaining that experience. You know, we're saying, you know, AI will do all the grunt work and the easy work for you. So you can focus on the value adding work. But, um, and I think I've posted something about this previously where I've said, but doing that grunt work and those menial tasks is how I believe I actually gain that experience to understand what's right and what's wrong. And if you're going to take that away from someone, they can't instantly become graduates with 20 years experience. What happens in 10 yeah, you years go, time? You go, you, yeah, you go, from, you go from an experienced person that's being assisted by AI to someone that is basically just like, what beholden, does, what beholden does the, to it. Yeah. What does the God, what does yeah. the God box say? Uh, and, yeah, and and the thing is, we're assuming that you know the AI will be able to give the right answers. And the biggest risk we've seen, with certainly with things like ChatGPT at the moment, is how confidently incorrect they can be. Um, and if you're not experienced enough to understand that it's confidently incorrect, you'll just look at the confidence and say, well, "That must be the case." Confidently incorrect is my nickname internally, Santos. So that's oh. a. That's a uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good spot to 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 end it on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that is time. Santosh, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time, um, and thank you very much, everyone, for listening.